Good morning again. I'm so glad that uh, that you're here. And uh, man, just if you're a guest with us, I, I want to say we really are excited to have you. Thanks for worshiping uh, with us. We consider it an honor every week when someone takes time to come in and and uh, and visit. And so uh, we just it's it's an honor to us that you would come and do that. So thanks for being here. My name is Matt Darby. I get to be the teaching and campus pastor for our Gilmer campus. And so uh, I want to take a moment. I know uh, moms and, and ladies and kiddos, y'all have been waiting all day to create thunderous applause for the men in your lives. I know you have, so I want to give you a chance to do that. Guys, dads, if you're a dad right where you are, I want you to stand up in the room right now. Come on, get on your feet. Ladies, let's let them know. Come on. There they are. All right. Guys, you did it. I'm proud of you. You made it, whatever that means. So welcome. Glad you're here. Thanks for celebrating Father's Day with us. We're going to spend some time in uh, God's Word together this morning. We're going to be still in Philippians chapter 2, working our way through uh, this letter that Paul wrote to the church at uh, Philippi. And we're still in a series called Together We. We've looked at how together we stand Together we submit to the name of Jesus. Together we shine like stars in, uh, uh, against the backdrop of a, of a broken uh, culture. And this morning we are looking at what it looks like that for us to uh, stand, or excuse me, for us to together serve. Together we serve uh, is uh, what we're pursuing this morning in God's Word. So we're going to be looking at verses 19 through 24. And uh, when we navigate through this morning, what I'm wanting us to take hold of really is um, with the idea of Father's Day and, and, and uh, raising our children to love and to fear the Lord and to serve Him, I want us to look at the example that Paul is going to give of faithful service, faithful serving, walking with Jesus. He's going to give us two examples of that. Really, between 19 and the end of chapter 2, in two men, one is Timothy, the other one is a guy named Epaphroditus. Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we're going to look at that first example today of Timothy in verses 19 through 24. These two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, were crucial guys in the New Testament, especially Timothy. I have, I have a tendency to uh, think that if you weren't one of the disciples or Paul, then you were probably a minor character in the New Testament. Uh, but the truth is, Timothy is a major character. He is a major player in the New Testament. What we know of Timothy is uh, he came to faith through Paul's ministry, as did Timothy's mother. And so Timothy's mother and grandmother come to faith. Uh, Timothy comes to faith. We know that his mom it was a huge spiritual influence in his life. Uh, The moment Timothy comes to faith, uh, Paul and Timothy have this very unique, strong bond that forms. Uh, Matter of fact, Paul would describe it in 1 Timothy as uh, my true son in the faith. That's how he describes Timothy. There's this very strong bond that forms between them. And uh, Timothy is a young man. He begins to travel with Paul. He begins to go on his missionary journeys. He's a part of planting churches. As a matter of fact, Timothy was there when the church in Philippi was planted, where uh, now 10 years later, Paul is writing this letter. Timothy was there when that church was planted. He was there when Paul uh, planted the church in Corinth and in Thessalonica. We know that Timothy would often visit Paul in prison. And so Timothy was there when Paul would write letters to the Philippians, to the church in Colossae, to the church in Thessalonica, and to the church in Corinth. He was there as Paul wrote those letters. And ultimately what we see is Timothy was raised up to pastor and to lead multiple churches, but the most significant was the church in Ephesus, uh, where we get the book of Ephesians. And so Timothy pastored that church. And even though Timothy was young, which he was, um, he had set himself apart in, uh, as, as a faithful servant of Jesus into the church. And that's what we're going to look at uh, today. This idea of Timothy, he somehow had set himself apart. And I want to answer the question, where did that come from? Where did that heart to serve come from? Because just a few verses before this, 
in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, Paul unpacks for us the, the selfless, serving, humble heart of Jesus, right? It's in those verses where we see Paul saying things about Christ like he emptied himself, he, he humbled himself, he became a, a servant, he became obedient even to the point of death. And then starting in verse 19, going all the way to the end of chapter 2, so 19 through 30, in that little window, Paul is now going to show us what that humble, serving heart of Jesus looks like when it is applied to someone's life. So he's going to paint these two living pictures for us of Timothy and Epaphroditus, two living pictures of the heart of Jesus to serve and be sacrificial and be selfless. And so we're going to look at that first example of Timothy. Again, he had, he had really set himself apart in, in being a faithful servant. And because of that, Timothy had a massive impact on Paul. Uh, we know Paul had an impact on Timothy, right? Because Paul leads him to the Lord. He takes him on these missionary journeys. He disciples him and raises him up. But Timothy had a huge impact in the life of Paul and in the life of the church. We know in our own lives there is an impact made in us. There's a difference made in our lives by those who have sacrificed for us, right? Who have served us uh, sacrificially. They, they leave a mark on us. Let me see if I can help us kind of get a clear picture of, of what I mean here. We're going to take a test together, right? I know it's summertime and we shouldn't be taking tests. Don't worry, we'll all fail together. No big deal, right? I'm going to take a test. So I'm going to ask you five questions. I don't want you to answer out loud. Just answer to yourself. I want to see how many of these you can get right or how many within each question you can get right. All right? So let's, let's start the test. Here we go. Can you name the five wealthiest people in the world right now? Just think who those would be. I got three of them. It was Jeff Bezos, uh, Warren Buffett, and Bill Gates. The other two names I couldn't pronounce. But I got three of the five. Um, can you name the five wealthiest people in the world right now? How about this? Could you name the last eight Super Bowl champions without looking it up on your phone? I'll give you a hint. Three of them were the Patriots, okay? Could you name the other five? The last eight Super Bowl champions, right? Let me ask you this. Some of you are baseball nerds, and maybe you'll get to this one. Could you name, without looking it up, the last seven World Series champions? No help on your phone. Can you name the last seven World Series champions? Okay. This is where I really fell off the bus. Could you name five, not the last five, any five, could you name five Nobel Prize winners? I was like, nah. Could you name... Um, the last five Academy Award winners for Best Actor or Best Actress? Could you name the last five? Okay, so what's, what's the point of that? St think about those groups of people, those teams, those people. They had reached the pinnacle of what they do. They were the best of the best at what they did, the most success successful, and yet, let's be honest, we could only name a few of them, Right? We could only name a few of them. Now we're going to take another test. I bet you're going to do way better on this one. Here we go. Can you name two teachers who had a meaningful impact in your education growing up? Two teachers. Could you name three friends who went through something really hard with you? They were there for you through something really hard. Could you name four people who taught you something you will never forget. You got those? Um, could you name four people you really enjoy spending time with? How about, could you name three heroes? I'm not talking about Iron Man. I'm talking about real-life heroes. Could you name three heroes whose story inspired you? I bet we did a lot better on that test, right? What's the point? The point is this, the people who matter most to us, the people who have made the most meaningful impact in our lives 
are not the people with the most trophies, the most awards, the most money, the most followers, or the most success. That's not who they are. We could only name a couple of them. The people who have had the most impact in our life are the people who have served us and sacrificed for us. They've marked you because you could name them. And so I want us to think about that as dads, as moms, as grandparents, aunts and uncles, coaches, teachers, neighbors, anyone that has spiritual influence in the life of a child. I want us to consider that and realize God has called us to show them and to teach them. He has uniquely positioned us to have a meaningful impact in their life and to show them the joy and, and satisfaction and power of living their life in pursuit of Christ. That's, he, is, he has called you. If you're a parent, God has called you and positioned you and commissioned you to be the living picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus and to serve him faithfully. So this is, this is what I want us to look at. I want us to look now at the example of Paul and Timothy, this, this spiritual father and son, and really see what this looks like for us. All right? So Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. If you're there, let me hear you say the Bible is true. Amen. Amen. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Do you see, do you notice that relationship language that Paul uses to describe Timothy? He says he's as a son to a father. Paul said, I have, have no one like him. There's this very strong relationship between them. And what is it that made that relationship so strong? It wasn't that they were near to one another in age. Paul was older. Timothy was a young man when he came to faith. Was it that they just got along or that their personalities gelled well together? I don't think so. I think Paul and Timothy were two very different humans. I think we can see in God's Word, Paul was your typical type A, forward, aggressive leader, not, doesn't hesitate in any moment, just that very out front leader. But I think in Timothy, we see something different. I think Timothy was more of an introvert. I think Timothy battled insecurity. I think Timothy battled some self-doubt, which is why when Paul wrote his letters to Timothy, he would have to say things like, Timothy, um, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Timothy, you need to set an example for the church. You need to be willing to put yourself out there and be the example. Paul had no problem being the example. Paul was the guy who literally said, and I quote, follow me as I follow Jesus. <laughs> Do you feel the weight of that? You ever been confident enough to look around and go, y'all want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus? Just do what I do. That's Paul, right? Not scared to be the example. Timothy was the guy that he had to say, Timothy, you got to be an example for the church. I know you're young. Don't let them look down on you, right? He's pulling this. So if it wasn't their personalities, what was it that built that bond? I think it was two things. Here's the first one. Paul and Timothy had a shared call to serve the church, and the kingdom of God. Now, before you think that was something unique that they had, that we don't have, I want you to hear me say, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a call on your life to serve the kingdom of God. Every believer is called. Every believer. You're called to serve the kingdom. And I'm not talking about the four walls of the church. I'm talking about where you live, where you work, and where you play. God has called you to serve the kingdom. And there was this shared call that Paul and Timothy embraced together that bound them to one another. Not only that, though, Paul, the other thing I think that bound them was Paul embraced the command to make disciples. 
He embraced the command. He just took Matthew 28 and took Jesus' word for it and obeyed when Jesus said, go and make disciples. Now, you know, there had to be hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of people who came to faith in, under Paul's ministry, right? But it's impossible for him to disciple every one of them. Not possible. But here he has taken this young man, Timothy, and he has said, I see the gifts God has put in him. I'm going to disciple him. So they had this shared call. Paul just embraced the command to disciple. This bond was formed. He began to disciple him. He began to instill in him the heart of a faithful servant. And so the message is, together we serve. But rather than this being another sermon that says you need to serve more and serve more and do more and, and, and give more, I want it to be a time where we answer the question, how do we as fathers, how do we as moms, grandparents, teachers, neighbors, spiritual leaders in the lives of children, how do we build into our children the heart of faithful serving. How do we do that? How do we raise up children who are willing to give themselves away for the kingdom of God? I feel like that's a question worth asking and pursuing. Amen? How do, how do we do that? If we desire for our children to walk with Jesus and to serve Jesus for the rest of their life, is that a desire that you have? that your children would walk with Jesus for the rest of their life and that they would serve him faithfully for the rest of their life. Do you have that desire? This was a desire that John had. In 3 John, he says, I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking with the Lord. If that's your desire, then let's ask this question. What do they need from us? What do our children need from us in order that they, we could begin to instill in them a heart to serve Jesus for the rest of their life. There's a couple things I think we see in these verses. Here's the first one. Our children need to see examples. They need to see examples. You see examples. Look at verse 20 and 21. Paul says, For I have no one like Timothy, <laughs> I got no one like him, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For everybody else, for the, they all seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. Two important things I think Paul says of Timothy here. One, that there isn't anyone like him, meaning Timothy has a commitment to serving the church that is unlike any other. He has a commitment to the kingdom and serving the kingdom of God unlike any other. And two, Paul says Timothy is going to be genuinely concerned for you. He's going to be genuinely concerned about what Christ is doing in you, not just his own interest. And the question I have is, where did Timothy learn to be selfless like that? Where did he learn to set aside his own interest, to put the interest of someone else above, him, above his own, to, be, to pursue the good of others and pursue the glory of Jesus? Where did he learn to do that? He learned it from the example of Paul. He learned it from Paul's. Paul set a powerful example for Timothy to follow. And Paul wasn't one of these leaders that said, uh, Timothy, I want you to do what I say, not what I do, right? How many have ever had a, a leader, a boss, or maybe even a parent who had the do what I say, not what I do thing, meaning they knew what they wanted you to do, they just weren't willing to do it themselves, right? You ever have that, ever worked for that person? Or that's, Man, that's defeating. Paul wasn't like that. Paul was not a do what I say, not what I do. Paul was to follow me as I do it. Follow me as I follow Christ. He set the example. We see this in the letters that he wrote to Timothy. He wrote two letters to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. These aren't letters to a church. They're letters to a pastor. And he wrote these letters to him. And, and I want us to look at there. We're going to get an example, uh, or we're going to get a picture of the example Paul set. If you look in Second Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy 3, we're going to start in verse 10. I want you to, we'll put the words on the screen. You can look in your copy of God's Word. Here's what Paul says. He's, he's speaking directly to Timothy, and he says, You, Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, 
which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Paul said, Timothy, this has been more than you just doing what I say. You've seen me live it out. You, you've heard me teach Jesus, and you've watched me live Jesus. You've seen it in my conduct. You've seen it You've seen him evidenced in my life. You've seen me pursue him. You've watched me be patient with people. You've seen me love the church. You've seen me be steadfast in hardship and endure persecution and suffering. And you've watched me trust Jesus to rescue me. You've seen the example. Paul set that example for Timothy. Every day, every day, your children wake up and deal with thousands of examples of what they should be doing with their life. Every day. There's examples that live in this little rectangle that they keep in their pocket. And one of the most defeating things in the lives of students and older kids is the cycle of comparison they live in by standing next to the wrong example. Are you with me? Am I just talking to the Darby family or am I talking to everybody else? There are examples they engage every single day. Examples that tell them you want to really be happy? You want, to, you want to be successful? You want to be popular? You want to have good reputation? You want to be well thought of? You want everybody to like you? Follow me. Do what I do. Every day they battle that. And they circle this drain of comparison. If you're a student in the room, I, I want to tell you something, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will use it to liberate your heart. Comparison is the enemy of joy. Are you with me? College students, teenagers, you know, how about all of us? Comparison is the enemy of joy. It is the assassin of gladness and satisfaction and contentment in your life. So how do you battle that? we got to set the right example. Your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your students, your friends, your neighbors, kids. They need to see examples of what it looks like to walk with Jesus, to serve Jesus, and ready to have joy in Jesus. <laughs> Do your children see you glad in who Christ is in you? It's your joy to serve him and to give your life away for Christ. They need that example, right? I'm talking to me. If you feel the weight of the room, I'm, I'm feeling it, right? If your kids are sitting with you and you're like, man, this is awkward. I'm my kids are right there, right? They hear everything I'm saying. You're going to get to hear from them in a few minutes, by the way. There's a, right? They need to see these examples. And it's got to be more than what we say, Amen. I wonder if anybody else can just connect with the with the, a moment when you knew that what you had told your children and what they had just witnessed from you, either in what you did or what you said, didn't line up with what you told them. Right? Some of the most courageous things my children have ever done have stepped out to say, Dad, that was wrong. That's hard. That's humbling. Whew, that'll, that'll put you down a little bit. Um, but they need to see these examples more than they need to be told. They need to be shown. You know what empowers your words of wisdom? The evidence of it being lived out in your life. That gives it power. Until it's evidenced in how you walk, it doesn't matter what you say. That's a hard lesson, right? They need to see examples. Let's move on to the next one. I can tell you all are tired of that one. All right, here's the other one. Our children need to be encouraged. They need to be lifted up. It 
I'm not talking about the occasional pat on the back when they win the game, come in first, or get the A. Right? Obviously, we want to cheer for those moments. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say they need to be encouraged, I'm talking about the consistent rhythm of encouragement, the consistent rhythm and pattern in your life of affirming them and, a, and affirming the gifts of God in them. That's what I mean by encouragement. Look again at verse 20 and, and 23 in Philippians 2. Paul says, I have no one like Timothy. There's no one like him. He's going to be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And in verse 23, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Do you hear the pride in Paul's voice talking about his spiritual son in the faith? And it's not a pride where he's being arrogant. This is a pride that comes when, by the way, boy, there's so many sidetracks. I don't want to get to, but I want to say this to you. Your children don't need for you to be arrogant for them or on their behalf. What your children need is to hear you speak well of them. Right? They need you to affirm them. They need you to encourage them. They don't need you through arrogance and pride to prop them up. Do you feel the difference in those things? I think as parents sometimes, and I can be just as guilty of thinking, if I hear something good about your kid, let me tell you something good about mine, right? Oh, your kid got an A, mine got an A+. Plus. Your kid came in second, first, right? There's that thing in us. That's not what they need. They don't need me to they don't need to artificially prop them up. They need me to build them up, to encourage them. And this is the pride you hear in Paul's voice. He was saying, I got no one like Timothy, a son to a, to a father. He has proven worth. There's a pride there, not an arrogance, but a joy and a fulfillment at the man Timothy has become in Christ. That's what he's celebrating. That's what he's encouraging. And I love how Paul publicly speaks well of Timothy. I love it. I love that he speaks well. Remember, he's writing this letter to a church, right? Which means they may not have had a building like this where they all got together. These may have still been home churches that met. in. So this letter would have been passed through houses. It would have been read among the believers there so that Paul says to the entire church family, there's no one like Timothy. He's going to come and care for you and love you the way I would. I could not have sent a better man to you. He publicly speaks well of his son in the faith. Not only did he encourage Timothy publicly, he encouraged him personally. Personally. Right? Again, in the letters that Paul writes to Timothy, First and Second Timothy, we see this. He consistently encourages the spiritual gifts that Timothy has. He encourages the, the, the pastoring and the leadership and the teaching and the serving. Look at verse, uh, 1 Timothy verse, chapter 4, verse 14. 1 Timothy 4.14, here's what he says. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Timothy, you have a spiritual gift. Don't neglect it. What is he doing? He's affirming them. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, he says again, For this reason I remind you, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What's the point? Paul did not want Timothy to ever lose sight of the gifts God had given him and put in him. Those gifts of leadership and teaching and pastoring and encouraging and serving. So he encourages him and he builds him up. When was the last time your child heard you speak well of them to someone else? Again, I'm not talking about bragging artificially. I'm talking about building them up. When was the last time your kid heard you speak well about them? When was the last time you sat down with your kid? And have you ever affirmed the good things you see in them? 
man, I just want you to know I've, I've noticed that you've just grown in how patient you're being with your sister. Thank you for that. And I just want to tell you, I'm proud of you. I've noticed you've really started to, to, to ask really quite good questions about your faith. I'm so proud of you for that. Do your kids hear you speaking that way? Publicly? Personally. We got to fan into flame those gifts. Amen? We do that through encouraging. So they need to see examples. They need to be encouraged. Here's the last one. Our children need to be empowered. They need to be empowered. What does that mean? It means our children need to be given opportunities to step out and to stretch their spiritual muscles. They need to be given opportunities to step out and stretch their spiritual muscles. Paul is sending this young disciple, Timothy, out to, to encourage and to shepherd a church. a church. Is Timothy ready? I don't know. I'm not sure Paul knew whether or not he was fully ready. He probably doesn't know everything he needs to know, but Paul knows I need to empower him. I need to give him an opportunity. If Timothy is going to continue to grow into a faithful servant who will pastor that very difficult church in Ephesus in a very difficult city, and he's going to be faithful to Jesus for the rest of his life, I've got to empower him. So Paul empowers him to go. He says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. I'm going to send this young man to you by himself. That had to be an empowering moment for Timothy, right? It's because it's one thing to do something, to do something new or, or difficult when your parent or your teacher is right there with you. It's a whole other thing to be sent out to do it on your own, right? This is that moment it's that moment where Paul is letting go of the bicycle seat. Right? He knows Timothy's not going to be a perfect pastor. He knows it. He's got to let go of that bicycle seat. He knows he's going to fall off. When your kid fell off their bicycle, what did you do? Did you just take the bike and go, you know what? This bike is dumb. Let's throw it away. You should never ride a bike again. It's the bike's fault. You're perfect. Is that, is that what you did? No. You went, come here. We're going to get back on this thing. I'm going to let go of that seat again also. That's not the last time I'm going to let go. I'm going to keep letting go until I don't ever have to touch it. Right? This is that moment where Timothy's, where they're backing out of the driveway for the first time driving the truck by themselves. And you're like, ha, 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 right? This, this is that moment. Paul is empowering Timothy to go and represent him, to stand in the gap, to stand in front of the church. I remember the first time I stood in front of my youth group holding a guitar, shaking. I was so scared. 17 years old, knew five chords, four chords. Don't let me exaggerate, only knew four chords. And I got up in front of the youth group, and off I went with, Lord, I lift your name on high. Anybody remember that song? Right? Had no rhythm. Lord, I love to sing your praises. Right? That's what it was. It was horrible. Philip, it was terrible. I remember the first time I preached a sermon. It was real bad. <laughs> I've told some of you before, I think it was heretical because I remember uh, I quoted in my first sermon um, a friend of Job's. You remember friends, Job's friends, the knuckleheads who were giving terrible advice, telling him what he should do, and God had to come behind them and go, those dudes are idiots, don't do that. I quoted their friends as if that's what he should do. And literally after my pastor pulls me aside and goes, come here, dum-dum, look at the Bible for a minute. What's wrong with you? You can't quote those guys. I had to, but I was being empowered, right? I was stepping in. That's what Paul's doing. That's what your, ch your children need. And it isn't the first time Paul has empowered Timothy to do something hard or to go out and serve and giving him an opportunity to live for the gospel. Look at verse 22. Really important thing here. He says, but you know Timothy's, say these two words, proven worth. Proven, that little two word, it's two words in English, it's one word in the Greek. So one Greek word we translate as two words, proven worth. Here's what it means. 
The Greek word shows up seven times in the New Testament. It means to be tested in such a way that your character and quality are proven true. That's what it means. It means to be tested in such a way that who you are is proven. So here's, here's, here's Paul saying, you know Timothy's proven worth. He's saying, you've seen this guy go through the fire. He was with me when we planted this church in your city. You've seen him walk out his faith, obedient to Jesus, being obedient when it was hard, and now I'm sending Timothy to you, and you should receive him. Not because I'm telling you he can do it, and, but because I've empowered him to do it, and you've seen it proven in his life. We need to empower our children. Your child needs to know, my children need to know, that God has a call on their life. He has created them and saved them for a purpose. There is a call, a unique thing he has set aside for them to do. And he has put me in their life to empower them to do it. I need to be empowered. I need to be given opportunity. Is that risky? You bet. Are they going to be perfect? Not a chance. But they need to be empowered. You know, we give our kids coaching, training for all kinds of things, right? We give our kids tutoring and these you know specialized coaching we empower them to be successful athletically and academically and socially but are we empowering them to live serving the kingdom of God they need examples they need to be encouraged and they need to be empowered and you're like well that's great I feel like a loser how'd that go at your house Bubba well let's find out all right so this morning, um, I did want to give you an opportunity to hear from the Darby kiddos. We're in a unique season as a family. Our kids are working their way closer and closer to transitions uh, away from our home. And um, Carrie and I didn't get all this right. Um, so I wanted you to have an opportunity to hear from them. Would y'all welcome my kiddos up to the stage for just a moment? There you go. Clayton. You bet. Here, let's just get this out of the way. All right. So this is Kelsey. If you don't know our kiddos, this is our daughter Kelsey. Kelsey is uh, 21 and a half, right? And so um, she will... The half used to matter when she was little, <laughs> you know? I'm six and a half in three days, right? So... She's 21. She'll be graduating college this fall uh, from ETBU. This is Clayton. Clayton is uh, 17, and uh, he and Jackson, uh, also 17, will be starting their senior year of high school this year. And so the Darbys, we, we very deeply feel this uh, season of transition, right? If you were here for Mother's Day, we talked about the benediction, that, that moment where your children are coming to a place where they're stepping out. Some of you have been through that. We're going through it, right? And so uh, some of you are like, oh, that's so far away, it'll never happen. That fast, it'll happen. And so this is, this is where the Darby family is. And so, guys, what I wanted to do, as we think about Paul and Timothy, and we think about these examples uh, that Paul set, um, your mom and I did some things right, and we had some areas where we had to get better, right? So I wanted to ask you guys, I'm going to start with Clayton and with Kelsey. We've talked about needing the examples of what it looks like to serve Jesus, what are some things that mom and I did that set an example for you guys of just what it looks like to walk with Jesus? What are some things that come to mind? Um, especially over the past couple of years, I would say listening, because especially when I'm frustrated, if I'm going to shut down, the only thing that's going to be going through my head is my parents don't care what I have to say, my parents don't care what I think, mm. and then I won't be focused on how very, very possibly, I'm wrong. I'll be focused on how, well, I would shut down, so I don't, it doesn't really matter. Mm. So just being better listeners, right? Better listeners. Kelsey, what's something that comes to mind for you, just examples that maybe we set of what it looks like to follow Jesus? 
Um, well, I think servant leadership was always a really big deal in our house, whether that be um, if they would serve at an event at church, they would bring us with them. They wouldn't just get a sitter so that, for me at least, when I was old enough to start volunteering for stuff like VBS, I wanted to do that because my parents had always done that. And then just growing up, they served us pretty well. I remember when I was in elementary school, I didn't have to do anything except for go out and sit on the living room floor. My uniform would be ready. There would be a blanket down there with a bowl of oatmeal. Who put it there, Kels? You put it there. You dadgum right, I did. <laughs> and so it just made us want to serve other people better. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to be honest. I miss oatmeal blanket days. Oh, I'll oh, quit it. I do, though. <laughs> I miss it, dadgummit. Um, there were some things we did well, some things we didn't do well. Jackson, when it comes to areas where, honestly, mom and I, we needed to get better. What were some areas where we had to get better to show you guys what this looked like? Yeah, something I saw y'all get a lot better in was y'all's patience with us, uh, whether that was just when we didn't get something right the first time or we just didn't get it in the time that y'all wanted. Uh, yeah. y'all, now y'all learn to let us struggle with it a little more mm-hmm. so where we could be like, hey, we're proud of this. We did this, and it took a lot, but we got it done. Yeah, yeah. Does any other dad in the room identify with battling patience? Anybody else? Did that land on anybody else's heart? You know what I mean? <laughs> so it, it really was a struggle. It was difficult to be patient and let them, let them learn, but that's, that's good. Kelsey, what comes to mind? Just areas where we had to grow and get better. Um, well, when I was little, I had a ton of anxiety. <laughs> and so sometimes that would happen in public, which was probably not awesome. But I think um, trying to find the moments where they would just, I guess, do whatever they could to make me quieter or actually let me struggle through that, kind of finding the balance was hard, I yeah. would say. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think one thing that most parents, I don't know if this identifies with it, one of the things that I think a lot of parents need help with understanding, I know we certainly did, was learning how to engage our children spiritually. How do I engage my kids with spiritual conversations? What are things I do to participate in their spiritual lives? And I'd love to hear from all of you guys on this. What are some things parents can do to engage spiritually with their children? Jackson, what comes to mind? Um, Probably just making sure that they have a Bible and a devotional. And not only that, but then also sit down with them and help set a time to where they can do their devotional because that tells them two things one that you care about their spiritual life and two the kids thinking now okay my parents know when i'm going to do my devotional so that's a level of accountability Mm. something as simple as a bible and a devotion that they can do to to pursue god in his word i love that clayton what are some things parents can do to spiritually engage their kids well, I mean, I think it's really as easy as asking questions. Like if y'all ask me, hey, how did your devotional go this morning? Mm-hmm. And I didn't do it. There's the level of accountability. Yeah. And if I did do it, we get to have a spiritual conversation or even mm-hmm. like how did God show up in your life today? Mm-hmm. Like just it's being able to question. foster that kind of those yeah. kinds of conversations. Man, something as simple as asking, how did God show up in your life today? I love that. I love Kelsey, what comes to mind? How can we engage spiritually? Um, I think making sure your kids know your stories and how you came to the Lord, I think it's Mm. easy to forget that you guys are watching us do that. Y'all saw, you and mom, like you saw me come to the Lord. You Mm. saw what I struggled with in high school. You saw what I was successful in, and Mm. we didn't get to see that part of your lives. And so I think just telling your kids your story and letting them in on more of it as they get older, Mm. too, can really help them. Yep. feel closer to you, and also feel encouraged in their own relationship. Man, that's, that's a good word. That was really encouraging. Here's what I would say. Parents, uh, your six-year-old may not be ready for every detail of the high school version of you, right? <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. They may not be ready for freshman college version of dad. That's all I'm saying. However, as they grow, letting them know there were areas where you struggled, where you failed. Here's how I came to faith in Jesus, letting them know your story. I thought that was such a good word. Okay, Jackson and Clayton, thinking about how Paul 
empowered Timothy. He, he empowered him. How can parents empower their kids to live for Jesus? What did that look like for you? For me, it was always y'all made sure to let me know that it was okay not to be okay because like what you said, I especially struggled really bad with comparison because, mm -hmm. I mean, when you have that many things to compare yourself to, the bar basically becomes perfection. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of Christianity is that we aren't perfect. So, yeah. I mean, that needs to be the mindset in a yeah. household. Yeah. Yeah. Help them battle against that by knowing who they are. How do we empower our kids? Um, I'd say by encouraging them from when they're very little to start, go ahead and serving. I was on Glow Kids when I started in the fourth grade, and I was the worst dancer out there. <laughs> but I was out there, and I had a good time, and we just praised the Lord. And uh, in two hours, I'll be leaving for Colorado, and I wouldn't be going there uh, as excited as I am without yours and mom's full uh, yeah. appreciation for it. Yeah, yeah. I love that. All right, last question. I want to hear from all of you. you got a room full of moms and dads and grandparents and aunts and uncles and a room full of people who have influence in the life of children. So if you could speak on behalf of their kids, right? You get to speak. This is what your kid wants you to know. What would their kid want their parent to know about raising them to follow Jesus? Speak, speak on behalf of their kids right now. What, what does a parent need to know? Um, I'd say that to remind your kids daily that you're with them and that God is with them because mm. when you do that, that lets them know that throughout every situation they go through that day or at school or wherever they are, that the God who made those situations is on their side. Mm. That's good. That's good. Clayton, what comes to mind? Every parent needs to know. I would say building a firm foundation in Christ, but not, well, helping your, your kids do it themselves. Because if, like, if the parent is extremely involved in building a mm. foundation, when they go off to college, it's not going to be there anymore because the mm. parents aren't there. Yeah. Letting them, letting them discover their own and build their faith. Yeah. Kels, what comes to mind for you? Um, well, I don't know if your kids would want me to say this, but... Um, <laughs> After being in college for almost four years when I've met people and they're so kind and they want to serve the Lord, but I also met a lot of people who spent a lot of their first year really having to learn some hard things because when they were at home, their parents were really quick to fix things. Mm. And so I just think it's important to find the balance between stepping in when you do need to, but also um, knowing when to kind of let them handle it and say, like, I'm going to let you do this, but... I'm here if you need me, so that they can kind of practice struggling and practice those problem-solving skills so that when they are on their own, their call to you can say, like, this is something that happened, and this is how I handled it, instead of you have to come get me right now. <laughs> Letting your kids practice struggling. Woo! That is hard to do, right? Because there's something inside every mom and dad that says, my job is to wrap this child in bubble wrap, pack them in styrofoam, seal them up, make sure that when they turn 18 and I unpack them and send them out into the world, they don't have a mark on them, right? But the truth is, our children learn how to walk with Jesus as they learn how to struggle and fight. As tempting as it is, and there were times we fixed, but there were times when we had to step back and go, we're not going to fix this one. We're going to trust you to square your shoulders, look them in the eye, and learn how to struggle through it and walk through it. And so, hard lessons, but man, thank you guys. Would y'all help me thank my kiddos? Thanks, buddy. It's risky dragging my kiddos up here on stage and letting them say stuff. And so... Uh, they're headed out today. I got to go get ready for uh, Colorado. Um, I hope that you've been encouraged. I want you to know as a dad, I feel the weight of language like set an example, encourage the gifts, empower them. Just, I feel that deeply. Um, and I backplay through my life moments where I missed it and I didn't get it right. 
But I want you to hear me say this morning a couple things. One, um, no matter where your children are on their journey, it is never too late for them to see you live out an example of joy in Jesus. I don't care if they're adults and married and got kids of their own. It is not too late for them to look at your life and to see the example of faithfulness to Christ. Right? Um, it is never too late for you to encourage them and speak well of them. You may need to call your kid today and go, I want to tell you something. God has put awesome things in you, and I am so stinking proud of you. And it has nothing to do with grades you make or what place you finish in or what team you are on. I'm proud of you because of who God has knit you together to be. Right? I also want to say this. I know that there are homes that have single dads and single moms. I want you to know one of the most important, probably the most important influence in the life of Timothy was his mom. When Paul talked about the spiritual investment in Timothy, do you know who he named? His mother and his grandmother. And so if you're a single mom in the room, I want you to hear me say this. Um, first of all, you're a superhero. I'm super proud of you. Secondly, God's divine power has given you everything you need for a life of godliness and knowledge, for a life of raising up your children as an example. Same thing, if you're a single dad, I'm so proud of you. God has given you everything you need to be an example, encourage the gifts, and empower them to go. All right. Has this been good this morning? Has it been encouraging to you? Okay, so here's, here's what I know in my own heart, then I'm going to have Pastor Ben come up and give you a few closing announcements, and then we're going we're gonna to be out of here. It is easy for me to think of my life as a vapor, right? How many of you had a place in life where you look back and go, yeah, this thing really is a vapor? These days on planet Earth, they are short, and they are scooting by in a hurry. It is much more difficult. It's a more difficult reality for me to remember my children's life is also a vapor. It's a moment. And what am I doing with the moment that I have? Right. Lord, I love you. I'm so thankful for your church. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for every family in our church, God. And I, I just pray over our children and over our hearts as parents and spiritual leaders, God, that we really would be a living picture of walking faithfully with you and having deep joy in you. And God, I pray you would renew this in our hearts. Give us a fresh joy in shepherding our families. I love you. Thank you for being our good shepherd, our good father, our perfect example. In Jesus' name, amen.